Hello and welcome to Unwatchables, the podcast where the only thing to fear is film itself. I am Mark Tavio, And I'm Seth Troyer. And today's guest is author and podcaster Mallory Smart, who's going to help us discuss a time in the 2000s where seemingly every horror classic was getting a slick remake. Some of the most iconic and disturbing films of the 70s got contemporary updates, though some of them may have been even more sadistic than the originals. We are going to discuss Marcus Nispel's glossy 2003 version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Alejandre Acha's brutal 2006 take on The Hills Have Eyes. The Hills Are Alive with the Sound of Cannibals. The Hills Have Chainsaws. Mallory, thank you for joining us. Uh, Mallory runs the indie literature site Maudlin House and co-hosts the podcasts That Horror Podcast and Textual Healing. I love that name. And her new novel is called I Keep My Visions to Myself. And that is available right now on withinxbooks.com. Uh, is that the best place to get the book? I mean, I would definitely say support Indie Lit and go through the site, but it is available via Amazon. I mean, this is a horror podcast, so why not just contribute to the horror of capitalism that both of these movies discuss by buying it through Amazon as well? Let's get to that bloody climax. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I would like to hear a little bit about this book. It sounds very interesting. Um, is it in kind of a horror-type genre or... I wasn't totally clear with the synopsis I read. It's one of those things where I was like pretty surprised that John actually pitched that I go on this show because um, this is the very first book of mine that I would not describe as like depressing as hell or whatever. It is existential, but I will admit my favorite chapter I wrote, I think I accidentally wrote a horror chapter within an existential crisis book and yeah, I, I don't know exactly what genre I would put it in other than people keep saying it's young adults. I don't see it personally. Oh, they love that stuff. I just don't. I think young adults are like maybe more mature now. <laughs> right. It's also funny. I feel like it's usually the other way around where like they're making a horror movie that accidentally becomes existential at a certain point. This is like the opposite situation. Yeah, totally opposite. Or, you know... I really am not a big Quentin Tarantino fan, but you know, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he talks about that one uh, part where he's at, uh, where they filmed the ranch and he's like, I accidentally filmed like a horror segment there. That's basically what one of the chapters is. It's one of those where everyone's just left hanging like, oh my God, did someone die? And I won't say. I love that. All right, yeah, we'll have to go through and then guess which chapter it is, and it'll become a horror book for a little bit. I like a writer on and a book that is uh, unchained in that way. I, I don't like knowing where I'm going, necessarily. And genres can sometimes really impede that and amplify the fact that I kind of know where I'm going, or at least I know how it's going to feel, you know? Mm -hmm. So would you say that horror is kind of your thing generally the next book i'm writing is horror so yeah <laughs> so is that something you've just been drawn to like most of your life yeah i actually i'm looking at a newspaper where i was interviewed about how i got into horror yeah i i have older siblings and i think that's just the typical 
story with most people is you have older siblings and they expose and corrupt you by making you watch the horror movies when they're babysitting you. Yeah, that's the best way. I was an only child, so I was just left to wander through the horror aisle back when there were video stores. And at the time that I was watching stuff like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre around the same age as Seth, he was busy cowering in his in his room scared of all these things, right? Oh yeah, I was a big Christian wimp boy. And if babysitters would have put this on, I would have gotten them fired and sent to juvenile hall or something. Um, I would have made a big stink out of it. Um, I'm a relatively late bloomer to the world of evil, I think. But I'm I'm pretty into it. The last 10 years have been pretty fun, I think. Well, I mean, we're going through a horror boom right now. So, I mean, you're right in the thick of it. Yeah, but I do like going backwards most of the time. Yeah, and it's interesting looking at these movies we're going to talk about because these are such snapshots of their time of what horror movies were like at that like particular time in the mainstream sense, at least. And I would like to start by talking about the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre um, because we are going to talk about the remake of it. And Mallory, do you want to start us off with anything as far is this something that you saw? You know, is this a movie you've seen like a hundred times or going back a long time? Well, I just actually rewatched it five minutes ago. Um, but the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of my favorite horror movies. I think I saw it for the first time when I was maybe like fifteen years ago, fifteen years old. So that actually would be two years after the remake came out, but I saw the original first. And I don't know, I guess I was just always there's this old eighties movie. I can't remember who's in it. It's it's like summer school or something. And they keep discussing Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and that's what made me want to watch it. So did you see it before the remake, or did you see the remake first? Before the remake. Okay. Well, that's a good, probably the best way to do it. I know, and Seth, you had just recently read like a whole book about the making of it, right? So we've been talking about this a lot recently. Yes. And I don't know, Some sometimes those making of books can be a little just like expanded Wikipedias, but it was really good. Um, highly recommend it. I need to look up what it's called. Tony can cut this out, but it's worth it. People would like to know what this is called. Yeah, see, if Tony was here, he could be looking it up right now. I know. See, it would it would be a lot quicker. We really need to replace him. Oh, yeah. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the film that terrified a rattled nation. That was really a really great book and really comprehensive and also like tying it to like the history of the 70s and all that that was going on. It being this famous example of like 70s melancholy at the death of sort of the American dream and like shit just happens now and anybody can do anything bad and it's like very nihilistic which kind of funny I just like read a review of one of my favorite weird people on Letterboxd who in comparison said that this remake is optimistic (laughs) in comparison really Uh, I guess I I, they're wild. They're a wild person. Nathane with an X. They're my favorite letterbox person. But I guess this has something to do with the fact that they finally have like some reason why Leatherface is doing what he's doing, and that there's a baby that they have to kidnap. And they're I don't know. Like they need reasons. <laughs> it's like which is counterintuitive to the Texas Chainsaw thing. I mean, I was gonna say that's actually the issue with like I don't know if I'm jumping ahead or whatever, but it's the same thing with Hills Have Eyes where with the remake, they also felt the need to contextualize what was going on with our quote-unquote 
evil people, you know, with the whole nuclear testing and everything. Mm -hmm. I actually was curious as to whether they just lost faith in like our generation's ability to like put one and one together and just decide like why they're bad, like if they needed a motive. Right. Like everybody took writing classes and learned like, well, your villains need a motivation, you know, and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, is usually like good advice, but in the context of something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre or other things like it, like the whole excitement is that like, whoa, there's there's no way of reasoning with these people. There's no like finding the humanity in them or something. Sometimes chaos just is chaos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think horror movies in general have become super self-conscious about their subtext. Uh, even to the point where it's it's not even subtext anymore. And we've seen that a lot in recent years with the whole elevated horror boom, uh, where it's everything is explicitly about, you know, grief or trauma. And I think that horror generally is going to be more effective to me, at least when it leaves things inexplicable. And that that is that's a lot scarier than things working on this metaphorical level. And it's interesting that you can see those things creep in a little bit with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, but especially The Hills Have Eyes, that they don't want to leave that stuff alone. And I think what makes the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre so brilliant and terrifying is how there is there is really no rhyme or reason. It's like they're venturing out into the unknown. And I would argue that it's the most important or most influential American horror film they probably ever made. Uh, like if I looked at something... I don't know, another contender might be like the original Night of the Living Dead. But that still had kind of one foot in the old-fashioned kind of horror movie making. And there's a supernatural element and there's a definite explanation for why the dead are rising. Where the Texas Chainsaw Massacre really feels like these are people who are stumbling upon uncharted areas of the country that we didn't know about and that are hostile. And the way that it doesn't give us any explicit motivation except that there's just this jungle out there is very scary. And I, I kind of see like the last time I rewatched it, it really felt like that it's halfway between those early Giallo movies, which were still kind of, they were gory, but they were kind of goofy and they were generally murder mysteries with these uh, plots. And it's kind of like halfway between that and then films like Halloween that came after that kind of streamlined all of this into slasher films that had a very definite, you know, predictable structure. But you watch Texas Chainsaw today and it's just, it just seems like chaos, just like madness. And I I feel like that's played out in all the different horror movie trends since then. And you can see that in horror movies that are still coming out today, but especially, you know, from that point. Um, and of course, you look at the this first remake then, and it's kind of fascinating to see how they're like filtering all of that that nightmare energy and that iconography through this more typical slasher template that the movie had inspired at the point. So I don't know. It's really fascinating to me to to see this new one. I mean, it just becomes oversaturated over time, and just almost becomes like a really weird, pale reflection of itself, which is ironic. For sure. And you couldn't have a better movie to be an example of like the contrast between those those two different approaches. Um, For anybody who doesn't know, this was the first film on the Michael Bay's uh, Platinum Dunes, uh, like production studio. And like they would go on to do remakes of 
Friday the 13th and A Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I think now their big series are the Purge movies and uh, the A Quiet Place films. But at the time, this was, I don't know, there was less of a precedent, I guess, for remaking the movies like this. And I saw like this, this had come out like just after like Scream 3 and the slasher revival was kind of coming to a crest, but right before Saw and Hostel. So it's in this kind of in-between place. I think this was the same year that Wrong Turn came out and it was a little after Cabin Fever. So there was this whole rural horror thing going on where the goal was really to like gross you out and be explicit. I think you could also go very political and everything. Obviously at that time we were very much, well, obviously it's much more muted now, but back then we were very divided in a way that was new to us. So we were kind of terrified of more rural people because of the extremities and everything with how pro-war and everything. Now we'd call them MAGA rednecks and everything, but. Sure. At the time it would have been more like the, the George W. Bush yeah. Republicans. But yeah, like we saw that as pretty extreme because like that was like those times were us just launching into those forever wars. And that's what actually I think really heavily inspired both of like these exploitation films being remade because both of them, I think, were obviously in the originals responses from uh, Vietnam. Yeah, that's a good through line. That's easy to kind of forget now that that's where we were at that time. Yeah. Yeah, there there is also this feeling that we we can't go back with this movie though. They're like even trying to bring the uh old cinematographer back. Did you did you did you hear that that they had the old cinematographer do this one? Yeah, Daniel Pearl from the original. But even though it's like totally blown out like fancy 2000s stylized um which is very interesting. I kind of wish there was like just a doc on what what choices he was using and what what he's been up to. Because I mean, it's not something you would think of to really do that because it is so guerrilla. The the original, it's like you're not really thinking about it in a cinematography sort of sense. Or I don't know. Is the the original has this almost documentary feel to it. Where this is a very much a movie movie. Well, I mean, the original, weren't they like in constant 100 degree heat and like being driven crazy half the time and on very little sleep? Mm -hmm. So it almost is like a documentary chaotic feel. Oh, yeah. Like the actors are barely acting. They're already out of it. Yeah, you can totally feel that in the original movie that this is something that could only happen under those particular circumstances. I mean, kind of like the Blair Witch Project, where like the people actually going through that stuff on screen just seeps through in a way you couldn't really plan. And this movie is very much like storyboarded, and it's by a music video director. And it is especially weird that Daniel Pearl did the cinematography for both of these movies, and they're like complete opposite approaches, which I don't think is a bad thing, actually, because you know there was no chance that they were going to recapture that lightning in the bottle of the original and so i would kind of rather this stake its own path even if it's a more conventional one and i don't know i thought that visually that was probably my favorite thing about this movie is it actually has some really beautiful images in it in that even in this this era these kind of movies don't typically look that good there's like twinkling yellowish light everything is kind of like piss yellow sometimes and like especially when we get to the house sepia toned yeah which helps with like the southern gothic feel that i mean even the original had uh and yeah even when we get to the house and get to like leatherface's 
dripping gross layer down there. It does feel It's just such a wet movie. Like a fantasy world or something down there. It is one of those movies you actually really want to describe as moist. I mean, the amount of sweat <laughs> you actually see all like the actors having and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all these these shafts of light coming through floorboards and through walls. And every time that she is running through the woods. When they're at like the one mill and everything, like you see like peaks mm. of light and everything poking out. Yes. And it's like she's running through an enchanted forest. Like it's just like fogs and light pouring through the, uh, like from the sky. Right. It's just like Labyrinth with Jessica Biel. Exactly. Why isn't that on the DVD case for this? Yeah. <laughs> Which I like Jessica Biel in this, you know, she's uh, kind of doing her best. With the whole being a goody two-shoes final girl. That was basically her role in the cast that they introduce. Um, that It's sort of an update. It's still taking place in the 70s. There's mention early on when they're in the truck and everything going down the road, just like the original. They're, they're going to a Leonard Skinner concert. They're like, man, I hope they play Freebird, man, and all that. Yeah, we even get to hear Sweet Home Alabama at the very beginning when we flash back to them after our little found footage intro, which is another thing that dates this a little bit too, where you could see they were always anxious to put in a little thing with like a, you know, handheld documentary camera. They did a really good job at like the almost forensics camera thing, like the ching, ching noise. That was perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing a lot of that in the advertisement, which Mark reminded me of. We watched it after... We finished the movie, uh, which, again, if we go back to 2003 or whatever, when I was a terrified little boy, and this came on, and the trailer does flash on the screen based on true events or whatever, which, like, was effective in the 70s and is effective now for, like, kids who were to watch Total lie then, total lie now. Yeah, just a total lie, but... Oh my I'll god! Say Fargo just said it was based off true events too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Although I think I would have uh, had fewer sleepless nights over Fargo trailer than uh, <laughs> the Texas Chainsaw Massacre trailer, which I did. Yeah, but yeah, they definitely are harping on that. Well, and the trailer does use that, uh, you know, that iconic sound from the original movie over and over again. Yeah. yeah, which they use in the in the movie like once or twice. And really it's like just one of those points where you just feel like you're getting teased and it's just like, I wish I was watching the original to be honest. But uh, are you sure that they actually use it in the movie proper? There's one point where they do. Okay. Yep. Because for the most part, this has a really conventional score kind of to match the visuals. I wanted more corn. I felt like they should have just really done the whole mall 2003 thing up with this more new metal yeah in the 70s set film yeah basically it's a kind yeah. of a leather face is basically a slipknot you know he's just amped it up a little bit i mean the guy who plays leather face was like a bodybuilder wasn't he that makes sense because he's enormous he has a killer look in this i gotta say he is also like one of the great parts of you are very excited to see him in every scene and he is like i don't know uh, he's a force of nature. He's like like more hulkish, not quite to the extent that like Rob Zombie's Halloween is like borderline hulkish, like tearing through walls. But it's closer to that. I mean, he's supposed to be very brutish, you know. Yeah, totally. I think that it's another case in point where 
it, I think it works for the direction that this movie is taking, but it is ultimately a more conventional one, uh, you know, where Leatherface is more like the big slasher villain in this who's chasing around uh, the final girl and he seems kind of indestructible up to a point. Whereas in the original, he's really this more like kind of mysterious, like he just takes orders from everybody else and he kind of has this weird like squealing that he does and like serves dinner with an apron on. And uh, this makes him more of like a Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees kind of figure. But he does do the bidding a lot in the remake as well. I mean, you hear like... uh... The sheriff being like, all right, the two girls are left in the van. You can go get them now. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does keep the general, you know, this idea of this being a family, even though it has new characters, basically. So, you know, we have the sheriff now. We've got this old amputee guy in a wheelchair. and Who, again, beckons him, like, with banging his cane on the ground. is almost like, you know, Leatherface, come on out. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. It's like they summons him. I assume he's their version of Grandpa. I guess. I, I don't know. Just no finger sucking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, yeah, though, that the... Like a husk. In the original sequels, except for this part two, the family, like, completely changes every time. It's almost like every time it's some alternate universe where Leatherface has different crazy family members with him. So this really isn't that different in, in shaking that stuff up. What is different, though, in the plot, though, is... And I'm curious what you guys thought of it. Like the biggest deviation other than having these kind of tacked on uh, motivations is the beginning. The hitchhiker is not like the weird, like kind of evil hippie guy that he is in the original one. It's a it's a young girl who is like clearly distraught and like they take her into the car and then she like pulls out of a gun out of her skirt and blows her head off. and like all the fun is gone from the movie. Uh, and it, a lot of like the first little half is kind of them having to deal with the fact that they have a dead body in their car. Uh, there's long stretches of the movie where uh, what's his face from full metal, metal jacket shows up and he's just the like sheriff. this awful, like, yeah, the sheriff. And he's just Harley Ermy, totally abusive, evil Southern nightmare cop. And, which which it becomes like a whole other kind of horror movie there like it, it could it could have been its own thing which yeah it was just like totally an, an add-on uh i don't know what you guys thought of that whole aspect i mean i remember seeing this when it very first came out and being very familiar with the original and as soon as they pick up this different hitchhiker it became clear that this movie was going to be taking like a pretty different direction so the hills have eyes remake like it really follows the original film like all with all the fates of the characters the general trajectory is you really feel like you're seeing almost every scene being remade and i think a, a strength of this one of texas chainsaw massacre is that it definitely does not do that for better or worse it goes totally off in its own direction you don't know who's gonna live you have a general idea who the final girl is but besides that you know you're splitting up villain duties between the sheriff and whoever strange person is that you know she ends up encountering next we've got a little kid running around um and it almost kind of sets you up in the beginning because until that the hitchhiker shows up it does seem like there's at least two members of the cast who are like lookalikes of their characters from the first movie the 
the hippie looking guy and then the guy in the wife beater. So they're deliberately calling back to that. But I, I think it's a good thing. So it's almost a little shocking when it happened. It's it's pretty shocking. Actually. Yes. I mean, I think it definitely was like going to be, they needed to have the hitchhiker because that was going to be what was going to take them to, what is, they changed the name of the family in the remake. Oh. Oh, yeah. The Hewitt family in the remake. Yeah. That's right. It was the Sawyers, I think, originally. Mm-hmm. But no, it definitely, it, so they can come full circle when Jessica Beale at the end would do the exact same thing that the hitchhiker did in the beginning yeah if you recall when she gets picked up by the truck and she starts doing the exact same freak out and has the exact same dialogue like looped yeah if there's any lesson it's use your words yeah i think a lot of this could have been avoided with uh there are there are killers that way don't go stop and talk to the killers and that that would help clear up a lot instead don't try and veer a truck off the road or where she had that gun, the hitchhiker, I don't know. But wow, you really could just use those words. But trauma, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like the cop is, a, I, I like the deviation, to be honest. It does get genuinely gross, like, especially when he's sort of forcing them to help him get the body out of the car. He's like kind of... He gropes the body. Yeah, he's like fondling the body. Making these comments. So gross. The comments for, yeah. <laughs> what have you boys been doing to this corpse? <laughs> yeah, he's I mean, he's a bastard. And we have that long scene where he's basically tormenting the whatever the character is who looks like the hippie from the first one. The nerdy guy. Yeah, and yeah. he's telling telling him to show him how she did it and making him sit in the seat and put a gun in his mouth and everything. And there is definitely kind of a... That was intense. I don't know. A sadisticness to this movie that, you know, your mileage might vary on how you respond to that kind of thing because unlike the original, we get lots of really gross things like the, you know, the fingernails scraping against the wall and coming off. Lots of, a lot more meat hook action that we actually see happen, whereas in the original... You kind of just imagine that you're seeing it, but you don't, there's really not a lot of blood in that movie. And this one has tons of blood and actual salt being rubbed into wounds and stuff. Yeah. Even to the point where Jessica Beale has to like mercy kill one of her friends that she finds downstairs because she can't get him off the meat hook. Yep. And I don't know. Do you ever think it went a little too far that way? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> as far as rubbing our faces in it? I don't think so. For something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, no. I mean, it already had such, like, an expectation because of, like, what everyone knew the original was. If they were going to have, like, that new one where we're already so desensitized, yeah, they needed to keep it going. I mean, you previously mentioned Hostel came out around that time, too. So our generation could take it. Yeah, it is kind of that era. It seems like the new millennium horror, which kind of got maligned in hindsight by the I remember at least like, I mean, obviously critics were really against a lot of the stuff that was going on. Uh, But even like teenagers, I remember like talking to them that would like go see it and be like all about how stupid it was or random it was, but like wanting the stakes to be higher. Obviously it is like by the 2000s, it was all about having to one up the last gore movie that happened. and. definitely like saw and hostile like bringing it up to the next level and pretty far away from where like we eventually wound up which now is like 
debatably too safe sometimes and like too devoid of like intense traumatic stuff where it's like all about you know it's well it's a metaphor the horror is metaphor or something here it is very much in just like pounding you into the ground with the grossest stuff that's going to get a reaction out of kids kind of um the point of being like really mean like not so much just gory but like there feels like there's like a sadist like what mark was saying like sadistic kind of thing i don't know like how you feel about this era necessarily mallory that whole era yeah it it was definitely i call it the torture porn era i have no other way to describe it yeah i feel like this one though they they did it pretty well it wasn't that i don't know when you compare it to the other ones that came out it wasn't that bad and i don't know i felt like every time there was extreme violence there was always something that like happened that made you cheer afterwards or like okay it's fine we won right for that one thing we lost Ooh, very like popcorn movie sense which actually i felt in hills have eyes too which is interesting like it was a little roller coastery yeah like more of a ride than trying to create some sort of i don't know artistic arc or something like that with this i mean they were both built off of things that already had like an amazing artistic arc i mean with hills have eyes you just mentioned i mean wes craven was the producer of the remake i think Mm -hmm. yeah and actually toby hooper was for this one as well so it was interesting. At least he was able to get some, you know, some money out of it. Yeah, but it is guy. interesting that they were kind of engaging with it in a new way. They even got John Larroquette to do the same voiceover from the original yeah. for this. So it does have those those connections. And this is a little early on in that whole trajectory of, you know, the torture porn era. So it doesn't feel quite as sadistic, maybe, as some of those other movies would get because it does give you those turnaround moments where she finally cuts off Leatherface's arm or hits the sheriff with the car. That is cool. That is really cool. And she that is the best scene. Cuts the arm off. And yeah, like running him over. Yeah. Yeah, the fake out where they make you think she's in the the truck until he opens the door and it turns out she's in a different car and runs him down. That's just good old fashioned. Same uh, fake out with the cutting of the arm when she's tricking him into thinking that he's she's in another locker yeah so there's i mean there's some good just direction and staging in this and marcus nispel he's this german director who really doesn't have many credits besides this he did the friday the 13th remake uh and like the conan the barbarian remake i think but yeah he doesn't see this was his first film and i think it's pretty impressive you know as a showcase um but i don't know he didn't seem like he's no Alejandro Aja, so he didn't seem to have really gone to do much more in the genre after this. We could definitely tell which director you prefer. <laughs> yeah, well, although still, this I do think the best thing about this is how it looks, and it, there is definitely that roller coaster ride feeling to it. So this doesn't get under my skin or like unsettle me like the original one does. But the trade off is that it's a little more fun, and as far as movies that are like this and we're doing this kind of thing and even the original's own sequels i would say that this is the best movie to come after the original including the sequels and all the movies that came after this oh my god mark the second one. Oh yeah you don't like the second chainsaw mask you would love the second one of course i do it's an amazing <laughs> i know of course you do amazing cartoon you get to see dennis hopper with two chainsaws oh i can't stand it and y'all are just forgetting renee zellweger and matthew mcconaughey i mean come on <laughs> yeah that's a good one too 
I was not forgetting, actually. <laughs> Were you just trying? <laughs> yeah. That, uh, yeah, not, I'm not a big fan of the original sequels, either part two or the, the ones that kept going on after that, that just get, uh, kind of listless. And I don't know, I think this does deserve credit for kind of bringing some vitality back into it. Even though the movies that followed this, uh, were not great. I don't have, did you see any of the sequels after this, Mallory? I, uh, just watched the, uh, 2022 one. That was on Netflix. That one was pretty what the fuck. I was I've been too scared. That's actually the only one I haven't watched <laughs> because don't, I've only don't seen bother. like one star. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just like insanely curious because I love the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise in general. So I was like, oh, let's see what Gen Z brings to the story. And uh it brings basically everything you think that a baby boomer would think that Gen Z would like to see on screen. They use the words yeah. problematic fun. a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and influencers? I think one person actually tells Leatherface that he's problematic. And I think oh my <laughs> there's one scene where everybody pulls their like phones out to film him. And then he massacres them because they don't quite take it seriously for a second there. That's what I remember from the trailer. That was like, you know, I really better stay away from this. That's so wild. I am curious about it. And that Leatherface origin story, but... I, they uh, yeah, keep we're... changing that throughout all the uh, new sequels and prequels and everything else. Yeah, I think it's a pretty simple principle of the more you explain Leatherface and yes. make him relatable and see <laughs> him grow up and be teased is just, that's not going to help with him being scary. It's not making him scarier, but it does play off the fact that now people like him. It is this weird thing that happens where with Jason, Michael Myers, people, they, they start it, it's the opposite. They start to like this character. They want more of this character. And it's this weird thing that, yeah, it's like, it's like the, the, the first, I don't know. Yeah. It's confusing, but it does make it less scary. The originals, um, the originals remain scary, but I mean, I don't know how you guys felt, but I mean, I never liked him, but like, I, I felt bad for him. Well, I don't like him as a guy necessarily. Like I was afraid of him, but I just felt like really bad for him because I was just like, ah, oh, he's just doing his job, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's all messed up and whatnot, you know? Like it doesn't seem like he really had a choice in doing anything. Obviously, we see in the original, he's pretty berated heavily in that one. Yeah. He's more like feral. In, he's like the family pet. In the uh, original one. Yeah. Yeah. And here it does give us a little taste of, first of all, we see his face where he kind of has this Voldemort noseless kind of look to him and people commenting that, oh, he had a skin condition or a disease when he was growing up. So you think about that before you judge, <laughs> before you judge Leatherface. Yeah, he just has eczema. I'll say like, I don't know who that one chick was. I mean, they don't really exactly explain the relation to the lady that stole the baby, but she's like, oh, poor boy. Didn't you see his face? Skin condition. Yeah, they have that weird, there's another plot line where there was a family before them. I feel like that's one of those things that maybe got cut out a little bit of the movie like the coherence really isn't there there was a family before them i think it's like the the lady that's where who, the hitchhiker came yeah that's from, where yeah. she comes from but yeah they, there was like a baby in that family and they wanted a baby still don't really know why they want a baby maybe they just are too inbred and i don't know they could have added that to the one of the million prequels that would have been helpful yeah 
Yeah, I never saw any of those, but uh, I don't know. I feel like with this one, which I am kind of a I'm kind of a fan of the Rob Zombie Halloween remakes. Actually, that's like one of the few horror franchise remakes that I think works for me because it deviates so hard um, to the point of its own detriment. I think I will admit that. But like the point of like make like I I like that um Leatherface is pushed to become something else, something like even more like monstrous in this. Um I kind of wish the director like it, it seems like the worst thing about this movie is that it's shackled to the original in that way. And it needs to still kind of adhere to those things. Um which obviously wouldn't exist without that the original. I wouldn't wouldn't get made as much as I would rather this guy probably just make his own spin on like evil redneck movies. I think he could have done a good job with it. Actually, I'm still finding it fascinating that like it's a foreign director making evil American redneck movies. Sometimes they're the best ones, maybe to look at us from the outside. Yeah, like they get like that cynical gaze of like our weird patriotism and shit. Yeah, it's hard to imagine this existing in a vacuum where there was no original and it's kind of a double-edged sword because on on one side it's the ways that this is different are good in the way that it looks and the way that it doesn't just try to recreate scene by scene the original on the other hand it makes it stand out a little more how these are just kind of more typical you know sex crazed teens and they banter and fight and there's jump scares and fake outs and you know, all that kind of more ordinary stuff. The fake outs. The interesting thing I noted in the remake is, um, although they do all seem to be kind of partaking in the sin factor, even Jessica Beale, I mean, uh, whatever her name is, a little bit. We can just call her Jessica Beale. We'll just call her Jessica, whatever her fucking name is. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Um, but they all seem to be trying to be good people for the most part, which is what makes it a little scarier the uh, main cast who all die except for her. Like they're all just trying to do the right thing. I mean, they could have just driven away, dropped the dead body somewhere. So that is their own detriment was actually trying to do the right thing. Yeah. And then just having a pinata full of pot, you know, is hardly like, that's the worst thing that you could point to in that kind of, I will say that's in all. that kind of slasher punitive way. Or just making out with another hitchhiker see that's why it's yeah they're so trusting of the other female hitchhiker maybe that's another reason why they had it that way because pepper was a hitchhiker the day before yeah and the one guy's like wow i can get another hippie chick how about this maybe. but it doesn't go that way every time or the dorky guy might have been like hey it's my time now yeah i know it could have really been different but yeah even though this has a final girl it doesn't follow that the kind of slasher template of, you know, the people who have sex are the ones who die and there's members of the crew who are assholes and you kind of cheer along sometimes with seeing how they get killed. This is very much just normal, you know, basically nice people uh, just being tortured and killed for no reason. Yeah, even the hippie girl gets fleshed out a little bit, at least in the fa in the idea of yeah. like we can all sort of put ourselves in their shoes after. I think that's why the the suicide at the beginning it's kind of effective in the way that they all are like genuinely freaked out and like okay, like whatever you thought of them, like they don't deserve that, 
you know, initially, which they don't deserve any of what happens to them. But it's like suddenly you're put in their shoes and like, oh, man, like they're just trying to have a good time. And all of a sudden, like they're all traumatized. They all saw something horrible and they have to figure out what to do about it and things like that. Whereas like in the original, it's not that they're out for trouble, but they're kind of really heavily. They're the ones who are intruding on the ruralized space and that family and they just kind of break and enter i think to the house at one point don't they they just kind of walk right in Eh, doors open you know because we don't leave our doors locked around here yeah even though they're like people don't take kindly to you just walking onto their property they're told like 10 minutes right before then Mm -hmm. yeah there's like a an an entitled factor i guess in the first one that uh they i guess the leatherface family preys upon (laughs) And I think obviously in the writing in the original, you could definitely, or maybe I'm a horrible human being. I cheered for certain characters to die. I was happy when certain people in that cast died. Well, it definitely does not try to make uh, poor Franklin likable in that, in the original movie. Like (laughs) they're okay with him being annoying and he is very annoying. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. Franklin uh, famously is like method acting and like, this is the character who's in a wheelchair. He's like the brother who's like holding them back from having a good time. He like famously method acted to the point where he was just trying to get everybody hated him to be annoyed <laughs> at him, even off camera. Like he was just trying to be annoying just to like make the atmosphere more authentic, which is just like, wow. Yeah. Oh, did a good job. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I love that performance, which yeah, I can't say that any of these performances really stick out or anything necessarily, but. I don't know. What else can we say? 9-11, Iraq, is that in here somehow? I was going to say, I feel like it's responses to it. In a certain, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't overdo it. I mean, and the original doesn't necessarily make a clear link to Vietnam either. It's more like just some the death of the hippie dream is just in the air. And you can feel the kind of whole Manson family vibe of it all. Uh, and I like how it keeps that implied. But yeah, that one does it effortlessly. It's wild how it does that so effortlessly where you would almost think like, oh, okay, well, I'll just, you know, but yeah, it's, you can't really just pick out something like that in this one. Like, okay, well, what's going on? That's what's so amazing about the first movie is that it can be this mirror to the times, just sort of not even by design. It just kind of is just incidentally, almost <laughs> litmus test or something, uh Rorschach test where this one you can't really like sit down and be like, oh, like clearly there's some sort of thing going on here with uh, where we were headed with Iraq and everything. And we were divided as a country unless you really are stretching. I feel like I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but. Oh, no, I feel you. Well, and it does take place. This is a period piece. So it's taking place in the 70s. And now it's kind of preserved in amber. Rather That's a than good point. In the thick of yeah. it. Yeah. So it's kind of shooting itself in the foot in that way. Yeah, which I'm still happy with because I did not need to see these people, you know, with with cell phones and listening to corn. Then don't watch the 2022 one. Oh, boy, I'm going to get right on not watching that. (laughs) Uh, I might not watch it even tonight. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I've been not watching it all day, really. I can't stop. But, yeah, for me, in the end, I, I just, I love the original movie so much that... Um, I, you know, I wouldn't consider this to be a patch on it, but I would say I'm kind of a minor defender of this remake, mostly relative to other movies like it. Um, it does, this is about the maximum amount of just dreariness and, um, 
or mean spiritedness, I guess, that I can take before I start to get a little bored with it. Like there's kind of a, once the ride is over, there's kind of an emptiness to the cruel streak here where the original one just seems like it's flat out, like evoking the nonstop intensity of a nightmare, uh, which is just not the same thing as what's happening here. But it gets, the, but this gets the job done. And I think it holds up better than I was expecting it to. So I, I'm not, I'm not like a huge fan, but I'm also not as down on it as I was suspecting I might've been. Um, so I would not unwatch this. Um, but what about you, Seth? And then we'll let Mallory have the last word. I was kind of, I, I guess I had some high hopes. I was kind of really hoping it would be like an interesting, I don't know, like mergence of that, that, that like, like a, like kind of like a weird mutant baby or something of the seventies and the two thousands ultra violent streak. Um, which it kind of has that, but it really, I don't know. There, there isn't, the well isn't too deep here. Again, I can only really enjoy it on, on the level, like enjoy it on a big way on the level of the visuals, which boy, like I, I would watch it again just to see the beautiful, beautiful initial um, chase with Leatherface when they're running. He's chasing the one guy who's making out with the hippie chick at the beginning through the front yard of the, of the, the house. Yeah, the sheets. There's like all these bed sheets like blowing in the wind and in, in like the, the um, hanging out to dry. And it's beautiful golden hour sunlight, you know, which is just like makes it so like, I don't know, like a juxtaposition of like, there's such beauty happening here, but it's horrible. And like he cuts his leg off, but it's all this like almost strobe like cutting with how the, the sheets are blowing and the cutting is working. Uh, that was like worth watching the whole movie. Um, maybe not the whole movie, but it was really worth. Uh, I'm glad I saw that. All right. And so Mallory, what, like, how does this compare to the original for you? Ooh, comparing it to the original. Um, I mean, obviously it's much more higher budget. I, I think the acting is better personally and the visuals are better, but it's very form formulaic. I would obviously watch it again. It's actually one of my favorite remakes of the remake era. Um, it actually goes hand in hand that Hills Have Eyes and then Amityville Horror. But I think it does a better job at creating uh, the jump scares and uh, maintaining the creepy atmosphere because it starts off with the creepy atmosphere. All right. You wouldn't unwatch. No one watches. Uh... Are you not a zombie? See, I kind of wish that uh, this was just a Rob Zombie Texas Chainsaw and he could have just cut to the chase because I know that's what he's always wanted to make. Are you not a Rob Zombie Halloween fan? Yeah, you know, Scout Toya and I actually had some words on this. Uh, not really, but it's just because I love the original Halloween so much. John Carpenter, I mean, you can't beat him. Yeah, I mean, that's always going to get in the way of all of these. Yeah, again, yeah. I, yeah, I guess I just enjoy that one for being such a weird follow-up, <laughs> like bizarre follow-up. It almost like felt like that one was so almost more excessive in violence. It than... really is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Definitely. Well, I was saying after we watched this one the other night that like 
if Rob Zombie actually made a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, it's like that would be almost redundant. Like the universe would fold in on itself. Yeah. <laughs> like he's been making every he's been turning every movie that he does into the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in one way or another. So that would be interesting to see what <laughs> finally got to do it. Like just let him actually have one and see what happens. <laughs> so yeah, this the Hills Have Eyes remake was not Platinum Dunes, which I for a second I thought, wait, was that the same company? But no, it wasn't exactly them. But this actually seemed to be like a a passion project for the director, Ale- I hope I'm saying his name right, Alejandre Aja, Asia. I don't know. We talked about him before when we covered High Tension on this podcast. And The Hills Have Eyes remake was his follow-up to that and his first English language film. You know, you two are a couple of platinum dunes. I enjoy talking to you guys. I gotta say. How dare you? Oh, that's a good <laughs> That's a compliment. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just saying but yeah i think that he was like a big fan of the hills have eyes growing up and was really influenced by movies like that which you can kind of see in high tension and he brings this the whole a taste of the whole new french extremity to this movie and i think all these movies have a little bit of a taste of that because all of the torture porn era is in, inextricable from what was going on at the time if you like those, we did a whole episode on them, uh, French extremities, martyrs, and high tension. Ooh. Yes, and uh, yeah, this is like his his big budget Hollywood version of that, and they gave him the money to make this movie as nasty and and horrible and disgusting and brutal as he probably always dreamed it would be. Once again, a non-American director. Uh, yeah, for a very like American subject, Americana. Exactly. Yeah. And this also looks great, right? Yes. I mean, it's not maybe as, uh, it's not as atmospheric maybe or moody as Texas Chainsaw or like as stylized in that almost expressionistic way, but. Colors. He definitely. I was say, it's supposed to definitely be like very, you're supposed to feel much more like it could happen right now. And it's not just a movie because I mean, they are just people that are stuck like in the middle of like broad sunlight. That's when it first starts happening. Yeah, we were talking about how most of this movie is in the daylight, which is kind of an unusual thing for horror movies. And it's true of the original also. And true Mm -hmm. of Texas Chainsaw. There are a lot of moments in that, especially the remake and the original. In the original. In the original and in the remake, I think. like, Like the scene I was talking about with the bedsheets, there's a lot of this, like the opposite of gothic castle at night, which we think of as horror. This is like, out in the open for all to see, like in the middle of the desert with the sun beating down and the worst, most horrible thing is happening to you. You know, mm-hmm. Daylight horror. Well, let's talk about the original a little bit then because that was Wes Craven's second film uh, after Last House on the Left. Um, of course, he would go on to do Nightmare on Elm Street and the Scream films and all kinds of horror movies. And uh, we did rewatch that uh, in anticipation of this, um, I'm not a huge fan of the original. I, I do see it as very much indebted to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, yeah we both agreed that it was kind of a like proof that you can't just watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then try and make the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Or yeah, I think Wes Craven himself said he was inspired by it. Yeah, because it is just so like I only like 
I don't even think Toby Hooper like knew exactly what he was doing. It is like this perfect thing at the perfect time, just everything working in that way to make that so idiosyncratic, which the Hills Have Eyes just felt a little bit more ugliness for ugliness sake, uh, less, yeah, less, less unique in my eyes. Um, and yeah, I don't know if the, the villains are, were kind of difficult for me in that one. They are so the and similar in the remake, they are these mutants that live in the desert that have been these like inbred, like people who live in the desert. Uh, but in that one, I don't know. Yeah, for me, they felt a little silly at times, but they I don't know. Wes didn't pat like to, to the credit of that movie, though. Wes didn't pack his punch, pat his punches, really. Uh, it gets really, really ugly. Oh, he definitely went for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what stands out for me, I guess, is the strongest part of that movie is that instead of it being a bunch of hippie teenagers who are out together in the middle of nowhere, it's a family. And it's actually two families against each other, you could say. And it does not shy away at all from how horrifying and devastating it would be to, you know, see your parents getting killed and your sibling get killed and your baby get kidnapped. And I I almost wonder if Craven was even realized how powerful or loaded that whole element was because he's so ruthless about it. I was say even like the sexual assaults and everything too. And yes, for sure. Which, yeah, like Flast House on the left uh, being the precursor, but yeah, him proving that he is not afraid to go there, which I think still like after that and before it, it was still a thing that is it doesn't just happen willy-nilly in any slasher horror movie right it's still like no like we can lop off all the heads we want in these movies but it's still like very shocking to see some of that stuff in a slasher movie particularly mm-hmm. but otherwise he's still like last house on the left it really feels like he doesn't even know how to like put a movie together yet and this and hills have eyes is only a little better in comparison to that. There's still a lot of clumsiness in the dialogue and the acting. And even visually, it it's not really, it lets the setting do most of the work. And it just shows to me that there's definitely a difference between like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is crude in an intentional but really effective way. And then this just being still kind of amateurish, at least where he was in his career at that point. But I mean, Mark and I have kind of shat on it a bit mallory you were saying that you like that movie a lot the original like what 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 are you really into about it see i'm just a huge wes craven fan so i actually just like seeing with each film how he constantly keeps redefining horror especially if you actually pay attention to who he was prior to being a director i don't know if you're aware of his biography at all he was a like an english or a college professor wasn't he he was a hardcore christian He actually went to a Christian college. Uh, I actually grew up right down the street from the insanely Christian college he went to. And it was on Elm Street in Wheaton, Illinois. No way. (laughs) Yeah, no way. Wow. Um, He belonged to a religion that didn't even allow music. We're like, we're talking footloose, crazy people. And I find that so fascinating then. So when you like put that next to Hills Have Eyes, you're like, whoa. This is the same dude. Went off the It's that rail. repression. Yeah, and now it's all yeah. going. That repression comes out like this. I had no really idea. Did. And yeah, he is like, I would I would say, like, yeah, he's uglier than uh, John Carpenter or like, this goes further than something like Friday the 13th or things like that, you know? 
John Carpenter always had a thing where he didn't like blood that much. Right. And he made a lot, you know, a lot of movies that weren't horror movies where Wes Craven is maybe only has a couple that aren't horror movies, uh, like out of his whole career. And it is interesting that he's done so many different kinds of things. Like there doesn't seem to really be a through line to me between Hills Have Eyes and Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream. Those are just the big ones. You know, there's plenty of other ones that he did, like the people under the stairs and Serpent in the Rainbow. Almost like he's this journeyman horror director where sometimes it's super intense and gritty uh, like it is here. And then sometimes it's more fantastical like Nightmare on Elm Street or it's a really slick slasher like Scream. Like I can't ever really pin him down. But anyways, like you said, he was a uh, producer on this remake and this like we were saying before is so much more faithful like treating the original like this sacred text than the texas chainsaw massacre does but i do think that works here because it's almost like it takes the things from the original that seemed a little clunky to me and massages them to the point where it all like works together a little better like a reverence right but like it knows what's scary about the cannibals. And so we do see a lot less of them. They don't seem like characters in their own right. Like in the first movie, there's lots of scenes of them talking to each other and and living in their little enclave. Uh, and here, I mean, he clearly went all out with the makeup for these guys. I mean, this is another case where they're like monsters, really. Yeah. <laughs> more than people. Well, nuclear testing will do that. <laughs> right. And we get this amazing prologue in this uh like with like a great sort of montage of old timey music and as like like old commercials we're seeing what happened which is there's like a, a nuke went off blew up this town something with the miners like a testing facility i'm assuming and the miners didn't want to leave their town that was going to be turned into that and they get mutated um and have to live out there in these like in the fake town, like whatever, I don't even know what you call that. I forgot. I wanted to research those a little bit, but like the they would the military would set up a fake town f- full of mannequins that they would use in tests for nuclear weapons. A test village, I think they was what the sign said. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, all that nuclear stuff. I'm pretty sure is unique to this version. Like the original had, uh, you would see airplanes go by. They were like Air Force training ground or something. And they reference it vaguely when the father and the son-in-law are about to go off to try and find help. The father says that he he hears that there's a facility down the way. Obviously, he doesn't make it. So I kind of forgot that that stuff was like the invention of this movie, that there wasn't like a nuclear angle really in the original. And this one is pretty much defined by it besides how deformed these people are. You have the test village and... Clearly, they're trying to make some kind of a comment here about, you know, America having created these people, uh, which is a little bluntly stated when they get to that part. Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like there's like a, a thesis here. I don't think the movie feels like it has any sort of responsibility for that. I think it's just like a kind of a trope, like a Godzilla thing where like it's just using yet another nuclear thing happened and now we have monsters it's just kind of using that i don't think you can call it a trope when there are obviously a lot of politics that are discussed throughout the film when you actually think about the father and the son-in-law and they're actually going all republican and then him calling like the son-in-law 
I don't think he says anything necessarily horrible, but talking how he's a Democrat and how he doesn't trust him with a gun and stuff like that. Whereas like in Godzilla, like kaiju films, it's like, okay, we understand how it created this one creature, but it doesn't affect anything else. Whereas we could take like big American imperialism in the military industrial complex and be like, we can blame it on everything now. Yeah, I do feel like it is, it's trying to do something with that. And it's mainly because we have like the whole speech that that deformed guy in the wheelchair or just regular chairs making about how it, you know, we became what you made us. And then we do get him like killing one of them with the American flag while there's like triumphant, like Western music playing over it, which is yeah, just kind of numb at that saying point. something. Yeah, I don't know what it's trying to say <laughs> at that point. But on the other hand, we have, we do have this whole arc Mallory was saying with this like emasculated liberal who I guess is learning to, you know, violently defend his family to get his daughter back. And yeah. it's clearly making a big thing about how he's emerging as this cannibal killer. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure how those two things fit together, but it seems like it wants to do something with Maybe them. Maybe it's like a non-American director that finds those things a little bit more novel. I don't know. Like, I don't, maybe just bringing them up, but not necessarily fleshing them much. Yeah, I think the best that we get out of it is that we have this cool village full of mannequins. That's a creepy place for all of them to be living in. I feel like he definitely felt like there needed to be a second setting because obviously in the original, there really is just the hills. Yeah, that whole sequence is just only for this movie. Uh, But besides that, it pretty closely follows everything else, um, except that, again, this is way more polished. The actors are a lot better. We have Ted Levine, uh, Buffalo Bill in there. And um, I don't know, did you guys like this, like, family dynamic? Oh, that's right. Buffalo Bill is the dad. Would you fuck me? I'd fuck me as a Republican dad. (laughs) Or fuck me. (laughs) But we talk about how in the original that it's, it can be, like, really disturbing to see the, the sexual assault and the parents getting killed. And this if anything, doubles down on that stuff, right? Like we get the the gun pointed right in the baby's face. It makes the sexual assault even more explicit, if I'm remembering the two correctly. Um, including him like breastfeeding on the mom. I mean, really, really nasty stuff. So, I mean, do you think that that, I mean, how do you guys feel about that? Either compared to the original or is this just being too... Uh, exploitative for just the sake of cruelty or is it just you know really effective at certain times I actually think the original might have felt more brutal at times because it felt more silent so you're just witnessing it and you're kind of like left alone with just the fucked up feeling of seeing everything that the people in the trailer were like seeing and witnessing and experiencing whereas there's a lot of music and shit going on in the background you aren't really you're not feeling like you're in that trailer I feel as much in the remake but it is brutal I don't think it has that same vibe though even though it was rated I think NC-17 wasn't it I think an unrated version came out on home video I it probably was rated R in theaters but I'd have to look that up we definitely watched the uncut version, though. That's the one I think I saw. Yeah, I mean, I was really kind of, I mean, I was a little exhausted after the last 
couple movies we watched with just brutality um like on this podcast which i was kind of i had always heard about this one i remember specifically my teenage like when i was younger my my teenage cousin who went and saw these kinds of movies uh and he was real edgy and uh rode skateboards around town he was all like we saw the hills have eyes man and this guy's head blew off and this guy got chained to a tree and they burned him to death and like I don't know, obviously, especially as a kid, but your imagination is like way worse than what it is. But I would say like, yeah, seeing the original, I do think the original was scarier because of the lack of style. Yeah. Which I do think is to the credit of most of Craven's early work. Like Last House on the Left, for instance, is totally inept as far as filmmaking is concerned. And that almost makes it worse. Because it feels closer to a snuff film or something like that, where if we fast forward... You feel kind of dirty watching it. Yeah. Where you fast forward to this, there's a lot of aesthetic, like, colors and style, and even the most brutal violence, it, it like, feels like you're watching, I don't know, like, just, like, the most crazy cartoon violence, almost. It's just very over the top. Obviously, it still is very disturbing. Uh, but I think there's some of the blow is kind of padded with the artifice here, which I don't know. I, I don't I, I appreciated that on an artistic level. I don't know if it necessarily does. I don't think it dulls it. It's still disgusting. But yeah, I would agree that the original is maybe like has a creep factor to it. That's a little different um, in some regards. But yeah, you're still going to get kind of queasy at this movie. The music is a good point because I immediately rec- like realized when this movie starts that, and I wonder if this is the first movie that started doing that on the soundtrack, yeah. which that's exactly. I thought this was a really good example of that, actually. Like, I thought the soundtrack was really effective. These like laser noises and kind of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's what the score did in All Quiet on the Western Front last year that everybody was debating whether it was effective or not because it was like world war one soldiers but then the score was going (laughs) and uh i was like oh yeah maybe that came from the hills have eyes Uh, but also i do think the the violence gets more over the top in almost like a silly way as the movie goes so it's still it's still kind of upsetting watching the whole assault on the camper in the first place because that's where all the violence really breaks out and we see the most horrible things um but by the time the main guy is killing the cannibals out in the desert in the test village like it really starts to get over the top i guess the best way to put it lots of of close-ups of driving pickaxes right into their eyes and stuff and it's one of those movies where they literally make sure that he's drenched from absolute head to toe in blood you know by the end I mean, even the dog is more violent in the remake. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the best parts of both movies is all the dog revenge. I love Beast. That was awesome. Really cool. The dog is really getting a body count. He's getting revenge for his slain mate. It's it's cool. Just made me pissed off at my cat the entire time knowing she would never help. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. My cats watched like the whole original with us, uh, and I think it was because of the all of the animal action. Yeah. The dogs really, really get to 
have theirs. Well, okay, the, the first dog, not so much. But the second dog gets revenge. I mean, I guess that would be almost the entire story is revenge. Aside from saving the baby. It's like this bare knuckle kind of survival thriller that they're out in the middle of nowhere and they've got to try to outsmart these people. Which is funny because they're mutants. Well, yeah, true. Yeah, you know. But highly coordinated mutants. They are, you know. Some of them, it it works to their advantage. Some of them not so much. Some of them have to be in a wheelchair all the time with a giant head. Like the guy who's always just laughing in the corner sitting around. He's really creepy. Some of them tries to do a sexual assault and they're like, you don't even know what you're doing. Yeah. Gross. The second half of this feels almost more like a action adventure kind of movie. Right. Especially in the first one. Because we get we we start to get the score that's like that seventies chicka 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 yeah. chicka 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 right. as they're like running through which this one the mountains felt, uh, and I kept on making Matrix jokes like he's the one like because at a certain point he's just kicking ass like the the dad who's trying to get um who's trying to get his baby back uh, uh he like it's pretty despairing and sad for a long stretch of this movie where you're just like they're not gonna make it out and then all of a sudden like the music starts getting triumphant like and he's just bashing these mutants with crowbars and stabbing them with american flags and stuff and then the music's really like exciting and i think that's one of the things i like about this movie is that it it obviously like the trends of the time and in the french extremity trend they are playing the lows really hard like they're making them like when it's dark and depressing and violent and mean it's the this as mean as possible but when the good guys are winning they also like amp that up like and like when the good stuff is happening they amp it up to this like almost absurd sort of again like feeling like he's becoming the chosen one or something kind of level i mean it feels like fireworks when the son and the daughter like are blowing up the trailer and everything's setting that trap mm-hmm. i mean yeah they go to that intense like yes fuck yeah oh yeah and when the husband is returning then after that like there are horns blaring on the soundtrack like you never hear horns in horror movies anymore no and uh let's bring that back it's it's wild it's odd it's really odd it's like the Lord of the Rings at the end. Like, we did it. We fucking did it, man. Yeah. And it does. It pulls back at the last second to end with a little stinger. Like you, you kind of feel it has to. Which I thought it would be kind of amazing and a total outlier in like horror if it did just end on like, no, we fucking made it. We killed those guys and we're going to be all right. We're gonna, like We're just like psyched about the fact that we're still alive. And there's triumphant music swell and it goes to black. It would be like a total outlier. I think that would actually make me like it way more. Yeah, it would be like, it would really stand out in a certain way. I don't know if it'd be like great in the course of the movie, but yeah, I don't know. Like you feel happy for that family, but there is that sense of dread. I don't know if it was just a sense of dread of, oh my God, this is just going to keep happening to other people or the, oh my God, they have more sequels planned. Yeah, it feels... Like kind of perfunctory in both ways. Like, right. it's like they got to have it. to have something, even if they're not going to do a sequel. It's like there has to be something that steps on it at the end. And I, I at least if they have to do it the way they did it is subtle enough where it's just pulling back so that it looks you can tell that they're being watched through binoculars. Yeah, the hills still have eyes. There's still eyes in them, in them hills. But the hills do need binoculars. Mm-hmm. They don't see, see so you with good. Their they, eyes. The hills have contacts. Yeah. 
<laughs> they can't afford them. Yeah, exactly. Who can these days? And if you really wanted to, you could imagine, oh, well, maybe that's a, that's an Air Force pilot there to save them. I was saying you can go for a military or something. Yeah, but the, the, the cavalry. We're not in an optimistic point, though, at that point, especially in history, like where we were then. And also now looking back. Yeah, for sure. It was yeah. Gloomy. There's really no good times now that we think about it. <laughs> 80s seem to have been all right, uh-huh. but now you're like, ah, Reagan. Depends on which yeah. which part you're looking at. It seemed fun at the time. But it was a great time for slashers. Yeah, Reagan was great for action and horror movies. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger in his like most recent like the Netflix series about him, he was talking all about that. Oh yeah. Is what Reagan is what made him love making movies. <laughs> Weird. He said that he made America bigger and better and more fun again. Man. I'm sure for Arnold Schwarzenegger, that was true. I'll say he, he's the first one who got a Hummer, I think. Reagan was great for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, this movie, uh, I, I think I like it a little more than the the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Um, it did get a sequel. Did you see that, Mallory? I haven't seen the sequel, no. I saw it a long time ago and. I think it's there's some sort of military training just going on in the desert. They run into more cannibals, and it's maybe a little more like the second half of this in the action adventure kind of way. I remember not hating it. Uh, I don't know if I'm gonna go revisit it again after this, but it's it's good to let a franchise just kind of die or not even become a franchise. Yeah, it's so rare just <laughs> that that happens. Let it so go. the hills don't need more eyes. But I, I was still yeah I think that this is overachieving for what it is and even though it gets a little silly towards the end and there is still kind of the aspect of it just trying to see how much it can bum you out or gross you out with certain parts uh i have to say that it works like it does what it sets out to do and uh i think that it's better than the original frankly uh but i would like to get everybody else's take on that particular uh, opinion so what do you think seth do you take this over the original oh i i certainly would rather rewatch this i think i think it's just more movie for your buck i think in general i do think you put it in a good way that it's it's overachieving uh not just re- gratuitous and not just like exploitation film or something but it does there's a sense that there's just so much brain activity going into this that maybe it doesn't warrant. Like, I was kind of impressed by the filmmaking, the action sequences, the color, the way it all, like, had so much style. And I I just, I was kind of, like, bummed that it was the Hills Have Eyes remake and not seeing this guy do something else with himself, I guess. Which he still, I like, uh, I like High Tension. I like Crawl. I like a lot of what he's done. I'd be curious to see what he can do kind of in a less genreed uh, kind of place. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I remember Piranha 3D being fun. Yeah, I mean, but it's still, yeah, in that genre. But I think um, I would say for being a depressive, mean-spirited slaughter fest with the assault in it, it's kind of a blast. Yeah, we just got to have some content warnings up front. Uh, Yeah, a bit. I mean, it's still kind of stupid, like just a. But I don't know, like it's it's a it's a wild ride, and definitely 
again, like sticks out in my head more than the Texas Chainsaw remake. I think it does more with it with, with its uh, source material. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I that's all I would say, I guess, about that. Mallory. So no one watch. No one watch. You take the chainsaw, Mallory. Your turn. No, I, I would definitely no one watch. I mean, I like the themes about the survival, the family, morality, revenge. Um, in the original, I I liked the acting of the son the best in the original, but everyone else was horrible at acting in the original. In the remake, I actually liked everybody except the son, ironically. <laughs> Um, I like that it didn't shy away from showing the horrors of what humans could do to each other and also like what people could also do when pushed to their limits, like our amazing triumphant hero at the end. With the help of that mutant girl, which I forgot all about. Yeah, that mutant girl, she really did her best, although, wow, they really made her mutated in the remake. <laughs> and they did her dirty in this one. I they feel did. like they like she she did a good thing and then they had to kill her. I mean, she tried to escape in the beginning of the f- original, right? Yeah, something like that. She wanted to escape. Mm-hmm. And then she was like, oh, no, and went back because she knew shit was about to go down. Which, yeah, she's similar to the Gummo kid in the Texas Chainsaw remake, right? Like He's kind of like trying to help him out. And they're also like trying to get a baby in that one, too. What's with the baby thing in these remakes? I don't know what's going on. Well, in this one, they are trying to eat the baby. Yeah. They love baby. But I don't know. In Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they just love family. They love family. Sorry, I feel like yeah. I'm diverted. Yeah, that kid was probably going to turn out great. Uh, it'd be the one non-incestuous. Maybe they needed to build on the family. So they had a new member. But with this one, yeah, I, I think overall it's a well-made horror remake. It didn't just pay homage to Wes Craven because he was obviously involved in it. So, yeah. I liked it. As a fan of the original, how would you uh, compare the two? Well, I mean, I think I already said that I think that this one is more visually violent, but it doesn't feel as violent for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like as far as your preference. Preference, I like the original the best, yeah. Okay, cool. uh, Have you seen the sequel to the original one? Oh, there's a sequel to the original one? There are a lot of them. Oh, gross. Yeah, Wes Craven actually made it. And uh, if you haven't seen it... uh, you know, I would not recommend that you change that, but <laughs> not one of his better movies. Uh, the dog does come back, though. The one thing that I remember about the movie is that it's full of flashbacks to the original where they're just like reusing footage from it. And the dog has his own flashback. That's so cool. That kind of cool. makes it worth watching then. Yeah. Why can't it just be like Benji going after evil mutants in the desert? That sounds like a much better use of everyone's time. Mm-hmm. That'd be a great film. Maybe the only dog flashback in cinema history, which is not nothing. Mm-hmm. It is pretty interesting. I mean, the very first close-up in cinema history is of a cat meowing. So. Might as well finally so, happen. Full circle. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, bringing these these wonderful, uh, happy, fun, lighthearted films uh, back into the topic. Uh, for us to talk yeah, about bring us back to the That's future of the new millennium and maybe though when they eventually remake these films again we can we can touch base and see how they all compare the year 3000 because i'm sure the cycle is never going to end oh i mean yeah obviously we've already done te- texas chainsaw massacre we'll see if we get a gen z version of hills have eyes <laughs> yeah well uh mallory is there anything you want to tease as far as your podcasts 
Um, or I've, we, actually, we talked about your book a little bit, but I know also you're involved with Modeling House. So is there anything you want to draw any, anybody's attention to? Honestly, right now I'm doing just uh, the book tour for my book, I Keep My Visions to Myself. But in two weeks, I will hide away in a cabin and I'll start working on my horror novel. We'll see what happens from there. But right now, let's all pretend that I'm a happy person that writes happy literature that happened to just have one dark chapter in there. I'm pretending for you. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, that is uh, available again on Amazon or withanxbooks.com if you want to support independent literature, which everybody should. Do it. Tell me, is there an actual cabin that you lock yourself in for writing? Cause yeah, it's uh, in northern Wisconsin. There's no cell service, no Wi-Fi. Oh, my God. If you don't hear from me in a couple weeks, well... Yeah, be careful. Make a good movie. <laughs> Mutants. Unwatchables is produced by Tony Scarpetti, hosted by me, Mark Dottavio, and Seth Troyer, with artwork by Micah Kraus. You can find Seth and I on Letterboxd under Mark Dottavio and Sloth Troyer. You can also check us out at unwatchablespod.com for links to our Twitter and Instagram, or support us on Patreon for bonus content and to have a say in what we watch. Thanks for listening. Like a brook when it trips and falls over stones on its way To sing through the night like a lark who is now